grace is greater. There was a sign on a plumber's van that read, there's no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. That's a really disgusting sign. Because where plumbers go, most people don't want to go. But isn't that exactly like the grace of God? It goes to the darkest, deepest, dirtiest places of our lives that we never let anyone know about. We never tell a soul about it. Matter of fact, if you were to get up and tell everybody the deepest, darkest, dirtiest part of you, you would think they would never have anything to do with you again. But the grace of God is so powerful that it goes right to that place. Matter of fact, the grace of God meets you in the weakest moments of your life where you are the dirtiest. Unfortunately, in our society today, we are trained to avoid weaknesses. We don't talk about weaknesses. We act like weaknesses don't even exist. We try to put on the face of strength and we don't, we don't confess that we are weak. We are, we are the kind of people that say, no, 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 I've got it all figured out. We know what, what we're doing. Even when we're asked in, the, in an interview, they say, what do you think your strengths are? You have no problem saying, well, I'm, a, I'm faithful. I'm committed. I mean, I, you could count on me. I'm a hard worker. And they say, what are your weaknesses? And you stop for a moment and you go, well, I can't tell them that. <laughs> so, so you fish around in your mind and you say, I think my weakness is that I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a too hard of a worker, you know. <laughs> and you fish for something because we're trained to not tell anybody that we're weak. But the truth is, is that when it comes in relationship between you and God, we will never, ever, measure up it takes the grace of God to pick you up to bring you up to lift you up to pull you out of the deepest darkest dirtiest places of your life to put you in a place where you have access to God requires the grace of God and the grace of God is a gift that needs to be experienced it's not enough for you and I to give a definition of the grace of God. It's a gift that, that, that God gives. It's unearned favor. We give these definitions of grace, and we tell people what grace is, the unearned favor of God, and that's fine. But it's not, the grace of God is no good unless you experience it. Unless it becomes something that is applied in your own heart and life. I could talk all day about the blood of Jesus. But unless the blood of Jesus is on your own heart and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins. The truth is you have not experienced what I'm talking about. It requires the experience to have its power. Because many people talk about the grace but you have to experience it in order to, to, to understand it. Giving someone a definition isn't going to do it. It needs to be opened up. You know, it's one thing to give a gift to someone and it's wrapped up real beautiful. And you look at the gift, you go, oh, this is a nice box. Thank you. But you can't really experience the gift until you unwrap it. And when you unwrap it, you can find what's inside the gift. 
And the way you unwrap the gift of grace is in an old-fashioned altar. I'm going to say that again because we're getting away from this concept in our society. The way you unwrap this gift is in an old-fashioned altar. Where you kneel down or you stand up, it don't matter your posture, but your heart cries out and says, God, I have sinned against you and I need you to come into my heart and into my life and forgive me. You're unwrapping the gift and the moment you unwrap it, the grace of God washes over your heart and soul. He cleanses you and the Bible gives us this beautiful $50 word called and then you are justified. Justification. That word means just as if you never sinned. That's the grace of God. That's powerful. I love what Romans 10 9 10 says. It says this and I have it on the board for you if you can pull that one up. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord If you openly declare it, anybody here got a declaration that he is Lord? He is Lord of my life. He saved me. He cleansed me. He's not just a man that died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He's not just someone who was resurrected. He is my Lord, my Savior. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Is there any believers in this house? Believers who have opened the grace of God. Believe that he raised Christ from the dead. You will be saved. Man, that's simple. I don't think it gets any more simple than that. And I think we try to... We try to make it something it isn't when we're trying to uh, make it something fancy or trying to change it. Let me tell you, you can't change the way a man comes to Christ. There is one way, and it's through the repentive heart. It's through the repentive heart. It's that heart that openly declares, he's my Lord. I am no longer Lord. He's my Lord. I am no. I resign my position of authority. I am no longer king of my life. He is the king of my life. That is where the change comes. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Oh, I like that. By believing in your heart. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I have a declaration that I can say, He is my Lord. You see, many people know about Him. And if you may know about Him, but do you have a declaration? Do you have a declaration that He's your Lord? He's not the Lord of Pastor Bruce. He's not the Lord of Pastor Jack or Pastor Zach or other people in this congregation. Is he your Lord? That's where the difference is. He has to become yours. The grace of God needs to be experienced. And this is how you experience it. You experience it by openly declaring who he is in your life. You experience it by believing who he is in your life. I like what Jack Coe did when he got saved. He said, hot dog, I got it. That's what he said. He didn't have no fancy words. He wasn't an educated man. He wasn't a theological man. He didn't know how to say hallelujah or amen. He, he just went down to the altar. He felt convicted. He felt compelled to give his heart to the Lord. And Jack Coe got up from the altar. He looked at everybody and he said, hot dog, I got it. That's all he could say. He went around the church, hot dog, I got it. Hot dog, I got it. He went home to his mom's house and 
with his mom and dad, and he went home, and he said, Mom, Dad, dog, I got it. Hot dog, Mom, I got it. They thought he was drunk. Told him to go sleep it off. He woke up in the morning, came out, said, Mama, hot dog, I got it. Mama, hot dog, I got it. And she said, Son, you still can't be drunk. He said, Mama, I ain't drunk. I went to church last night and I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And hot dog, I got it. I got it. I got it. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Does anybody in here can say hot dog, I got it? I mean, that, that, anybody felt like that? You could not explain the change. All you could say was, oh my goodness, I got it. I don't know what I got, but I sure did catch it good. I mean, I got it real good. Amen. That's the kind of conversion that comes when the grace of God washes over you. I read this powerful story uh, by Timothy Paul Jones. He shared it in his book called Proof. And it's a story about his young eight-year-old daughter that he adopted. And he adopted her from uh, from the state. But the family that previously had adopted her would not keep her. They actually sent her back to the state. She kind of had some trouble in her life. And on one occasion, the family, the, for the previous family before, before uh, Timothy had her, where they were all going to Disney World. And she acted up. And so the whole family went to Disney World without the little girl. But when Timothy Jones got her, he heard about all this. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to take her to Disney World. And as the time inched closer and closer to Disney World, that little girl, she was eight years old, she, she began to lie, she began to steal, she began to be so disrespectful that Brother Timothy said he sat her down, he began to talk to her and said, you know, sweetheart, you can't act like this. And she looked at him and she, and she said, does this mean I can't go to Disney World now? And in his mind, he thought, you know what? She deserves not to go for these actions. These actions deserve not to go. But because of her past and because of everything, he he avoided the temptation to say that. And he said, no, we're still going to go. He said, so they went to Disney World. And he said, we spent way too much money on the tickets. We spent way too much money on the food. He said, we spent money, too much money everywhere on games and, and fun things. And at the end of the day, he said he was bored out of his mind watching people in costumes dance around like it's some magical kingdom when there ain't no magic going around at all, just money leaving his pocket. But when he got back to the hotel room with his eight-year-old daughter and he was tucking her into bed, she was exhausted. She was so overwhelmed by the experience that she was weeping and laughing at the same time at the joy of the experience. And she said to her daddy while she was partly falling asleep, she said, Daddy, now I know that I got to go to Disneyland not because I'm good, but because I am yours. And can I tell you that's the grace of God? You don't get to go to heaven because you're good. You get to go to heaven because you're his. Come on, somebody. That, that's the grace of God. Amen? That's the grace of God. And so I want to talk to you about the greatness of God. Because God's grace is greater than my inability. God's grace is greater than my inability. When when I cannot, He does. Where I am weak, He is strong. 
Where I slack, where I am coming up short, he makes up the difference. That's the grace of God. The grace of God meets me right where I am. You see, I don't have to purdy myself up to come to God. I don't have to get it all in line to come to him. Sometimes we think, well, I'll start going to church when I get things in order. You know, when I feel better about myself and I feel like things are okay and I'm doing somewhat better. I'll start going to church then. Then I'll start feeling better. And then I'll go. But that's not how it works with God. No matter how hard you try, you will never achieve being what God wants you to be. Especially without him. You have to have the grace of God. And the grace of God meets you right where you are. And even when you try to fix yourself up, you only did that because you were prideful. And so the grace of God's now got to deal with pride too. If you just come to the Lord just how you are, you believe the way you came. Come on, somebody. The grace of God takes you and gives you the power to change where you would not have changed. Paul said, I complained three times about this problem. God, this problem, this messenger of Satan's buffeting me. This whole, this situation is horrible. I can't do it. Three times he said, God, please take it away. But God said, my grace is all you need. Every area of your life where you're weak, the grace of God makes up the slack. Well, I keep slipping. That's all right. We got the grace of God. I keep losing motivation. Praise the Lord for the grace of God. Amen. I can't seem to change me. That's why we have the grace of God. Because where you cannot, God can. And he does. I like what Hudson Taylor said. I put this up here for you so you can see it. Hudson Taylor said, it doesn't matter where he places me. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For the easiest positions, he must give grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. Isn't that powerful? Wherever I am, I need his grace. Today, right now, as I'm preaching, I need his grace. When I wake up in the morning, I need his grace. Throughout the day, I need his grace. Throughout the night, I need his grace. It is by the grace of God that you and I live and operate in the kingdom of God. And when we could not do it, where we were unable to come to him, the grace of God came down to us. Now think of it this way. What if I came into your house and you said, well, my mortgage is this much and my house, I paid this much for my house. And I said, nah. You're not going to pay another dime for this house. I'm paying for it. All of it's paid for. You'd be like, woohoo! Right? It'd be better than going to Disney World. Praise the Lord. What if I pulled up in your, at your house and I bought you a brand new car? And I said, this is yours to get you wherever you want to go. You don't have to pay for it. It's all yours. Just yours. Just take it and go. Your house paid for, your car paid for. And then what if I said to you, not only that, my dear friend, we're going to pay for your everyday expenses. If a bill comes in, it's going to be paid. Taxes, going to be paid. You need gas, we're going to pay it. You need some food, we'll give, you a, we'll give you some food, we'll pay it. Boy, you just have the time of your life, right? You're like, all I got to do 
is enjoy what I got. Can I tell you, you did not pay for salvation? Did you pay for Jesus to be born in a manger? Did you pay for the blood and the stripes on his back? Did you pay for the cross of Calvary? Did you pay for the empty tomb? Did you pay for the gift of the Holy Spirit that came down in Acts chapter 2? Did you pay for your salvation that you live in right now? No, you didn't. Can I tell you that you are living in the very place that you did not pay for? You are traveling in a spiritual vehicle that you did not pay for. And you are living every single day off of what God is providing for you. And that is the most beautiful picture of the grace of God. That you did not pay for it, but you are living right in it. Oh, that's powerful. That's the grace of God. It's where we cannot that his grace covers us. Where we are not able, he is able. I think one of my favorite things about the grace of God is that the grace of God is greater than my feelings. (laughs) Grace provides for you when your feelings will not. You ever not felt so great? Have your feelings ever contradicted your faith? How many times have you spoke and it came from your feelings and not from your faith? Man, feelings get in the way, don't they? There's a saying that goes around, I ain't feeling it. How many of you ever heard that saying? I don't feel it. You know what they're saying is, is that, that I'm not really in it. I'm not motivated. I don't feel it. I don't feel like this is for me. It's not my thing. I'm not feeling it. That's what they're saying. Have you ever come to church and been like, I ain't feeling it? Don't look at me all spiritual. Like like none of you have ever come to church feeling like that. You drug yourself to church, grabbed yourself by the nap of your neck. It's all you could do to put some decent clothes on to get yourself here. And you sat down on the pew, and you were like tired in your body, tired in your mind. All you could think about was how comfy them sheets would have been. And uh, But here you are, and all you're thinking about is the, is the feelings are there. Come on now. Anybody, anybody say amen at least? <laughs> Thank you, Brother Richard. Amen. Feelings have a way of interrupting faith. That's why the Bible doesn't say the just live by feelings. The just live by faith. Because faith will tell your feelings to get out of the way. When your feelings are in the way. And I can tell you there's a lot of times, there's a whole lot of feelings that are going to come your way. And you're going to have to tell them feelings to take a back seat to your faith. Because if you're not feeling it, sometimes, sometimes feeling gets, feelings get in the way because we feel ashamed of where we come from. Or we feel like, God, I don't have what you really, what you really need. You know, I'm not the, the best option. And so we feel ashamed. And that feeling of shame will stop us from going further in God. And so we have to deal with that kind of feeling as well. <clears throat> I like what John 3.20 said. This and I, I'm, Before you put it up, don't put this up just yet. I wasn't feeling it one day. Matter of fact, I was feeling pretty low spiritually. 
I felt like, God, why would you even pick me? I mean, dear Lord, you really drugged the bottom of the barrel when you found me. I mean, that's how I felt. It was just, I just didn't feel good about myself, about my spiritual life. I didn't feel good uh, about the kind of man I, I, I dreamed of being in Christ. I was like, God, that I dreamed up there, but I feel like I'm living down here. You know, I didn't feel so good. And, and the Holy Spirit was trying to encourage me in my own prayer closet, trying to tell me, look, you just keep pressing forward. You just keep going on. You know, that, that's the words that were coming to me. Even friends and loved ones who were trying to encourage me were telling me those words. And it, I didn't get victory until I read this verse. I had to stop. Let me read it to you. 1 John 3.20. Can you put it up there? Even if we feel guilty... God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Oh, that set me free. That verse right there gave me deliverance the moment I read it. Because it's like, that's it. God, you're greater than my feelings. I'm not feeling it. But guess what? God, you are. You're obviously feeling me. Because you died for me. You came and paid the price. You are obviously feeling what, what I'm going through. We are, the Bible says we don't have a high priest which is not touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He understands where we are and what we're going through. I was thinking the other day about Jesus on the cross. And I was angry at the moment. Have you ever been angry? Don't look at me all self-righteous. Amen. I was angry. And the blood was boiling. My mind was just being pulled in, in the anger mode area. And, and I went, I just leaned up against the fence. And I said, Lord, how did you, how did you not come off the cross and start just beating the daylights out of people? How did you look out and say, I mean, think of the power this is. Think of the power. Think of the control this is to look out off the cross and say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them? Punch them, God. Right? I mean, come on. Isn't that the natural thought of our heart? And I thought, I said, Lord, I need that kind of strength right now to be able to look out and go, it's all right. The Lord's got me. That's, that's some spiritual confidence. To be able to overcome what you're feeling. To be able to look beyond where you are and say, I don't care what I feel right now. I know in whom I have believed. And the grace of God is greater than what you feel. Because sometimes there are going to be days you don't feel very saved. There are going to be days where you don't feel like being holy. There are going to be days where you don't feel like singing. There are going to be days where you don't feel like working for God. There are going to be days where the Holy Spirit says, hey, tell that person about me. And you're going to be like, no, I'm not feeling that right now. There are going to be days you don't feel it. Sundays where you don't want to go to church. I'm going to stay home and watch it on live feed. Wednesdays where you're like, ah, you know, the Lord understands. I'm tired. There's always going to be feelings. But can I tell you, the grace of God is greater than everything you will feel. Everything. 
read this really cool story about a man who, he felt the feelings of discouragement because God told him, push on this rock. Push on this rock. It was a big rock. He couldn't push it over, couldn't do nothing with it. But he just kept pushing on the rock. Over time, he became discouraged because he was pushing on the rock, but nothing was moving. Come on, anybody ever been told to push, but nothing move? Okay, well, then you know what this man's feeling. He's pushing on the rock, but nothing's happening. And then in the middle of the discouragement, don't you know what the devil does? He sits right here, and he goes, you see? See what the Lord told you? He told you to do this. He told you, but nothing's happening. You ain't going nowhere. Look, you haven't moved nothing. You haven't done anything. And all he does is throw fuel on the fire of the, of the discouraging feelings and tries to make it go like a wildfire in your heart and life and your mind goes crazy with it. And the devil's just trying to trip you up. And the man got so discouraged that before he quit pushing on the rock, he took it to the Lord one final time. He said, Lord, I'm getting ready to quit pushing on this. I'm getting ready to quit pushing because I don't see no, no results. I don't see nothing happening. And God said, I never told you to move the rock. I just told you to push on it. He said, look at your arms. They're way stronger than they were when you first started pushing. Look at your legs. Look how muscular and strong they are because you were pushing. Look, look at what you have become from the time that I told you to push to where you are now. And then you'll understand why I told you, just push. And can I tell you that sometimes we expect something and our feelings can get in the way. And what we feel and what we think are going to happen and God doesn't bring it around. Remember what, remember what Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's what she was feeling. The feeling of discouragement, Lord, if you would have been here, you're late, God. Have you ever felt like God was late? I'm not feeling, I wish you were there, God. I, I, I've been waiting on you, Lord, to tell me what to do. That ministry that I feel in my heart, that, that desire to see you do great things in my life is there. I feel that deep in my spirit, but Lord, I'm, I'm wondering when it's ever going to take place. Have you ever felt like that? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm never late. Come on, somebody. And Lazarus came out of the tomb, and all of that in the midst of the feelings of discouragement. I'm telling you, the grace of God is greater than your feelings. It is, the grace of God is greater than your inability. The grace of God is greater than your feelings. And one of my favorites, the grace of God is greater than your insecurity. Oh, church. We can get insecure, can't we? Insecurity is a way to imprison you. It imprisons you. God says, let's accomplish great things together. Insecurity doesn't allow God to be seen at all. It puts you in this box and says, yeah, I can't do that. There's no, that, that's, that's beyond my ability. You know what you do when God says, I want to take you further, and you say, yeah, that's not something I can do. It's beyond my ability. You know what you're saying? God, you're not capable of doing it through me. That's what you tell God. 
Insecurity tells God, you cannot do this in me. What did Moses say to God? Hey, you know, Lord, you're a good guy, man. I love you, Lord. But you know what? Five times he tells God, send somebody else. And on the fifth time, his rebuttal to God is, yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I'm not going. Five times, he's insecure about himself. I don't have good speech, you know. That, you know what? I murdered a dude back there. Don't you know of my reputation back there in Egypt? They're not going to like me very much. You don't want to send somebody else. That's insecurity. Moses was saying, God, you, can do, you can't do this through me. And I want you to know something. There is nothing God cannot do through you. Nothing. There's nothing. And if you allow your insecurity to stop you because you're looking at you, well, I don't have that talent. I am not as gifted. I am not as talented at speaking. I don't have the skill level. And you go through that. You're like, well, I don't know that much about the Bible or, or I don't understand certain things. And so you start beating yourself down when the Holy Spirit is not talking about what you know. The Holy Spirit is saying, I know what I know. And if you let me take over, I'll be the one who picks up the slack. Come on. I like, I like what Gideon said. If there's ever an insecure man, it's Gideon. God said to him, thou mighty man of valor, that's what God called him, you're a mighty man of valor, and I'm going to use you to deliver the children of Israel, I'm going to use you. That's what God said to Gideon. You know what Gideon said? Gideon goes, uh, Lord, um, <clears throat> I don't think you know this, but I'm going to inform you now that my tribe, yeah, that's the smallest of all the tribes. And then if you look at my family, Lord, my family is the smallest of all the families. And I'm the least of my family. That's what Gideon said. Does that sound like an insecure person? It is. That's insecurity. The God, the God he serves, the God of his fathers, thou mighty man of valor. What is God saying to him? God's saying... With me, this is who you are. Come on now, that's what he's saying. This is who you are with me. With me, you're a mighty man of valor. Yes, without me, you're the smallest tribe, the smallest family, and the smallest in your family. But with me, you are a mighty man of valor. You're no longer Gideon. You are Zerubbabel. You are a conqueror. You will take 300 men, and 185,000 men will fall because you follow me. You're a mighty, mighty man. And can I tell you that if you allow God to lead you, then no matter what, what you are or what you think you are, none of those things matter because God is with you. Amen. Certain fish only grow based on the size of their fishbowl. Insecurity can be a very small fishbowl. God is your ocean. I'm going to say that again. Certain fish only grow as big as their fishbowl. And insecurity is a very small fishbowl. 
And God is your ocean. Some people are content with the fishbowl living when they need to swim in God's ocean of possibilities. Come on, amen. Dr. Lisa Firestone, who co-authored the book, Conquer Your Critical Inner Voice. This is what she said. The critical inner voice is formed out of painful early life experiences in which we witnessed or experienced hurtful attitudes towards us or those close to us. As we grow up, we unconsciously adopt and integrate this pattern of destructive thoughts toward ourselves and others. Can I tell you that God is trying to wipe away your past and insecurity is trying to continually bring it I'm not capable. You see, your inner voice is fighting against the faith voice in your life. You're talking to yourself, but maybe your talking ain't very good. Maybe you need to have a conversation with the inner part of you. Because some of you are talking to yourself right now. Is he ever going to stop preaching? There's an inner voice in us. Come on. Have you ever been in church and talked to yourself while the preacher's talking? Don't act like you haven't. Gerald, you're probably the worst of us all back there going, ah. Our inner voice will tell us the opposite of faith. And so you and I have to learn how to speak to ourselves with faith language. Language that contradicts what the enemy is trying to perpetrate in our life. We need to have a conversation with ourselves. We need to start thinking with the faith voice and not the inner critical voice that you have. Oh Lord, I can't stand up and prophesy. I'm not qualified. You never have been qualified. And you're never going to be. That's the grace of God. You're never going to be qualified. It's all about His grace. Your inner voice will say this, I can't. I can't. The faith voice will say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen? Your inner voice will say, I won't succeed. I can't succeed. It will never be prosperous. But the faith voice will say, with God, all things are possible. Your inner voice will say, others are better. There's other people out there that, God, that person's better. Use Pastor Bruce. He's more skilled at speaking. Don't use me. I don't have talent. I'm not gifted. I'm not a good orator. You somebody else, they're better. But the faith voice will say, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. The inner voice says, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the talent. I don't have the right equipment. And the enemy will surely just, just destroy me. But the faith voice says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Sometimes the grace of God comes into our insecurity and breaks down your little fishbowl. And says, trust me. 
Because I'm going to make you swim with sharks. I'm going to take you places you've never been before. I'm going to pull you out of this stuff and put you into places you've never been. I'm going to give you something to say like you've never had to say before. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to lift you up because you've humbled yourself before me. That's the voice of God in our life. And the grace of God. Here's what the grace of God. I'm going to sum it all up. Ready? I'm su- Melissa, come to the piano. I'm, I'm finished. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you said that to you like you was happy. Amen. <laughs> the grace of God. Listen, this is the beautiful truth of the grace of God. And if, and if I could sum up the grace of God, this is what I would sum it up with. The grace of God is access to all of God. That's the grace of God. I have access to all of Him. Therefore, all of me vanishes in all of Him. That's the grace of God. I am no longer me. Paul put it this way. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live unto Him. Everything is Him. What's he saying? I'm lost in him. This is why Paul said, I'm glad to glory in my weakness. I glory in my weakness because when you see how weak I really am, you really see how strong my God really is. Can I tell you my testimony? Mother was a drug addict. Father was a drug lord. I lived on the streets of Fontana, California, pretty much whatever I wanted. I seen the most ungodly things you could imagine, from drugs to promiscuality to the police breaking down our door at night and, and kicking the front door open with me asleep on the couch right next to it. I have seen atrocities that you could not believe. I have seen uh, domestic violence in our home. I would come home and see lines of speed on the glass table I seen so much filth so much that had it not been for the grace of God I would still be living in that deep dark dirty place but the grace of God one day met me right where I was and gave me access that's my testimony And can I tell you, you have a testimony? And that testimony says this. This is where I was weak until I met the strength of God. And God pulled me out. Come on, amen. God pulled me out. Would you stand with me tonight? Hallelujah.